Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. Can the NRA ever recover from the revelations that have come out at this fraud trial? That's the million-dollar question. At this trial, the New York Attorney General has produced ample evidence of widespread looting by top leaders, including Wayne LaPierre. Mm. That's Will Van Sant, a staff writer for The Trace, the pioneering nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom covering guns in America. And I'm Brian Stelter. Welcome to Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive. Today, we're going inside this blockbuster fraud case against the NRA. Wayne LaPierre, the group's leader since 1991, is accused of siphoning off millions to spend on everything from private jets to expensive suits. So what will this mean for the National Rifle Association and for gun rights advocacy in the United States? Will, you have been covering this case very closely for The Trace. Let's back up and, and set the, the scene about Wayne LaPierre. What kind of leader was he? How would you define his era at the NRA uh, before we get into what we've learned in this trial? LaPierre led the organization as it reached its apex in terms of power and influence uh, in Washington. He joined the organization in the 1970s as a lobbyist and He's been leading the organization for over 30 years. Yeah, look, when I picture Wayne LaPierre, I picture him holding up a rifle, you know, promising that he'll never hand it over unless you pry it out of his cold, dead hands. You know, that that infamous NRA slogan. But he has surrendered, has he not? He has resigned. Yes, he resigned right on the eve of trial. And his resignation is effective this week. So how has that impacted the arguments that the NRA is making in the courtroom? It's actually quite interesting. The NRA has distanced itself from LaPierre in the proceeding, blamed him, and characterized the NRA itself as a victim of his, you know, misconduct. Now, that w- that's new. I mean, the, mm. the defense, you know, had been in lockstep for several years. It puts the attorney general in a bit of a a tough spot, you know, because their argument is in part that, you know, he perverted the organization, but now with the dastardly figurehead gone, 
you know, is the NRA similarly compromised? Um, now, the AG wants the court to believe that it is compromised and we need to have an outside monitor. We need to have governance experts to come in and ensure compliance with the law. But, you know, that might be a tough, a tough sell after having argued that LaPierre was so responsible for the widespread, you know, corruption and poor governance. What we've learned through the reporting and through this case, it is really stunning. Here's CNN's Abby Phillips summarizing some of it. Wayne LaPierre says that after three decades as the face of the gun rights group, it wasn't about the money. But let's follow that money. And I'll note that these are all expenses that the former NRA chief confirmed himself while on the witness stand this past week. Chartered flights, private jets, helicopter rides to avoid traffic, the wedding of his personal assistant's son, suits at a Beverly Hills boutique, thousands spent at Bergdorf Goodman, and hair and makeup sessions for his wife at $10,000 a session. So basically, this is a fraud case about abuse of a nonprofit. And the nonprofit just happens to be uh, the NRA, just happens to be this uh, pro-gun advocacy group. But really, this could happen to any nonprofit that was blowing money on private jets and the like. Yes, absolutely. You know, it just happens to involve, you know, what has been considered like the preeminent interest group advocacy organization in the country. So it just kind of makes me feel like it's, it's a case of a mobster being caught, uh, you know, cheating on his taxes or or pulled over for having a taillight out. You know, the NRA in the minds of so many Americans, especially living in blue states and in liberal areas, is this dangerous and backwards organization uh, aligned to the Republican Party that has done so much damage, has caused so much death and destruction and the case against them, right, the, 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 what has been such a, a, a terrible wound to the NRA, which has maybe forced Wayne LaPierre to resign, was over, you know, lavish spending. Well, it's interesting that you mention the mafia. <laughs> it's worth noting that this is a civil, not a criminal case. But there have been sort of outstanding questions about potential criminal conduct. And many people wonder, where is the IRS? Hmm. Had this been a, uh, a union, for instance, and the leadership were engaged in, in similar conduct, I've had people suggest to me uh, who are familiar with this terrain, that it would have been a no-brainer indictment for the IRS and the Justice oh, we've, Department. We've heard Democratic senators and others made those arguments for years. But isn't it a testament to the NRA's power that it's avoided some of that scrutiny? Right. I, I do want I do want to say that, you know, I don't have any evidence that the NRA's power somehow shielded them from criminal investigation. But there are those questions. Uh, again, um, there are those questions. What What is the NRA's power now versus uh, generations ago? Uh, complicated question. It really, the organization really sort of reached a zenith, I think, in, in 2016, when it spent $55 million on national elections and 30 million of that went to support Donald Trump. It had, you know, its highest ever uh, member revenues and its political spending and its spending on core programs has just collapsed. It's absolutely collapsed. Hmm. It's lost since 2018, roughly a million 
members out of roughly 5 million members. Money is tighter there than it's ever been. Shed hundreds of employees. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not the organization that it was. Okay, quick break here. Much more Inside the Hive in just a minute. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. And we're back here on Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive. Here's, here's Wayne LaPierre at CPAC in 2018. After yet another school shooting, people were wondering, what was he going to say? How was he going to address it? Uh, here's how Wayne LaPierre spoke on stage. It's not a safety issue. It's a political issue. They care more about control and more of it. Their goal is to eliminate the Second Amendment. Their solution is to make you, all of you, less free. They want to sweep right under the carpet the failure of school security, the failure of family, the failure of America's mental health system, and even the unbelievable failure of the FBI. So that was LaPierre in 2018 after the massacre in Parkland, Florida at Stoneman Douglas High School. But those are the same talking points we heard after every massacre, right? Well, those were the same points we would hear after every attack. Yeah, that's uh, that's stock rhetoric from LaPierre in action. I, I find it interesting to hear whether it was after Sandy Hook, whether it was after Parkland, et cetera. Um, always someone else to blame. Always some other culprit. Uh, there's something very, very deep and dark about this country's relationship with guns. Um, that's why we need sites like The Trace that, that study this. And you all, just to be clear, you all come at this a, a resolutely nonpartisan approach, not advocating for positions when it comes to, to guns but trying to help us see what is going on, see the data. So what does the data, what do the facts tell us about the NRA's influence over the years? Because you were telling us here in 2016, they're at, they're at a peak and it's been downhill ever since. 
Well, uh, just as a, for instance, you mentioned that uh, school shootings, uh, you know, and there were murmurs out of the White House about uh, stricter background checks, firearms purchases, and Wayne LaPierre, I think it was September of 2019, walks into the Oval Office and the NRA disputes this characterization of the meeting between LaPierre and, and Trump. But the reporting was, and LaPierre said, listen, you know, we'll back you as you face impeachment, but you got to quit playing games with the, you know, with the gun control. <laughs> um, playing games. Yeah, you got to quit playing the games with potential gun control measures. So that was, you know, September 2019, I believe. You know, I was in lower Manhattan for the NRA trial. Uh, Wayne LaPierre is sitting there uh, in the courtroom. And, you know, closing arguments are happening in, in the Trump case, the attorney general's case against Donald Trump in the same courthouse. <laughs> I had this sort of low, low how the mighty have fallen moment where, you know, they, they go from being in the Oval Office uh, with one another to, you know, facing fraud charges in the same, the same courthouse. Wow. Uh, you know, same day. And with LaPierre and the NRA, we, we don't yet know the outcome. How much longer will this uh, trial be going on for? Closing arguments are set for February 16th. But despite the resignation, the AG still wants that jury to return a verdict of guilt against him. Um, and if that happens, he could be on the hook for a lot of cash. And how much could the NRA, how much is the NRA on the hook as an organization? Good question. It's a much trickier case that the AG has against the, the NRA. I mean, the, the evidence against LaPierre is just so, so damning. I don't think anyone who's familiar with the facts or has watched this case thinks that he has any likelihood of, of getting off easy. But for the attorney general to get the kind of remedies it's seeking against the NRA for basically failing to steward, right, charitable assets, uh -huh. nonprofit assets, they have to show that the conduct is continuing or imminently likely to, to occur. And the NRA did, starting roughly in, in 2018, 2019, begin a series of corrective measures, beefing up internal financial controls, compliance, and things like that. So they're saying, hey, you know, we've cleaned house. So it's going to be a, a trickier case to make against the NRA for, for the AG. So as this heads toward a resolution, what do we take away about LaPierre, the man? You know, this, this person who is revered by Americans for whom gun ownership is their identity, a way of life, reviled by those who, who believe there's been blood on his hands for decades. Is it, is it just that, you know, he saw a good grift? He, he, he saw money for the taking? I mean, look, was, this is important. Was, was LaPierre even a gun owner himself when he joined the NRA? That's a good question. Um, he certainly became a, a, a true believer. Uh, it's a question I don't happen to know the answer to. Uh, he's certainly not much of a marksman uh, when it comes to uh, hunting, for instance. Not much of a marksman. You're being too polite, Will. Your colleague at The Trace, Mike Spies, whose reporting really helped lay the groundwork for the state AG's fraud case, published this piece for The Trace and The New Yorker in 2021. The title is The Secret Footage of the NRA Chief's Botched Elephant Hunt. And quoting Mike here, firing from point blank range, LaPierre shot the animal three times in the wrong place. Here's some of the audio. I don't think... 
I don't think he's quite done yet. You want to do it? I'll let him do it, I don't care. What am I doing? I'm not sure where you're shooting. Where are you telling me to shoot? See the line of the ear here? Oh, okay. There. Right there? There. Right. I can shoot there. Go, go down so you get the yeah, angle right. You've got to sit down. down. Kneel down. She just an inch low. Uh-uh. No? So, you know, LaPierre, a symbol of American gun culture, uh, but not not much of a mark. Um, but, you know, who is LaPierre? He, he, by all accounts, uh, is a relatively shy individual. His attorney described him in opening remarks as, you know, bookish, wary of conflict at a personal level, hmm. actually, but somewhat calculating. Uh, longtime confidence said that he boasted of management by chaos in which he would hit top leaders of the NRA uh, against one another so that he could, you know, it, to serve his own interests. We have just seen it case after case in groups aligned with Donald Trump, these these signs of grift all over the place, that that there are these folks who will buy their $1,000 handbags the way LaPierre was, with the money raised by millions of people who who they claim to defend and support. Um, and that, that's really the core of Letitia James's case against, against, against LaPierre, right? Yeah, many do view him as having engaged in a certain kind of con. You know, he would say things like, you know, we have to pour gasoline on the fire, by which he meant we have to intensify the rhetoric, right, to keep the money flowing to the organization. Okay, let me let me try to interpret that a little bit. Keep people scared. Keep them believing their rights are at risk. Keep thinking the evil Democrats are going to take away their guns. Am I heading absolutely. the right direction there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've got it. And to what extent... Um, can we say he he prevailed? I mean, we can. He he succeeded. <laughs> His group succeeded for decades. I think that that's right. I mean, significant Supreme Court victories, including one relatively recently, definitely shaped the culture wars and introduced this sort of hysterical tone, you know, this assertion that every moment is a moment of crisis. And every moment is more intense in terms of the degree of crisis than the last. That's their fundraising, their fundraising model. And, you know, this sort of posture stridently opposed to anything that resembles compromise. What would a world look like without the NRA? Let's get into that in just a minute. Much more Inside the Hive after this. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. <laughs> but whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. 
back here on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Will, is there an argument to be made that the the collapse of the NRA, the the downfall of Wayne LaPierre, that it doesn't matter because they've already won? Uh, yes. I don't want to minimize what's become of the organization and the uncertainty that it faces. But Wayne LaPierre's departure, the NRA perhaps subject to some sort of court monitor, that is not going to make courts in this country or legislatures more receptive to firearms restrictions. (laughs) And there are plenty of, for lack of a better word, homes for disaffected NRA members, other gun rights organizations that have capitalized on a weakening NRA and, uh, and are growing. How do we characterize them versus the NRA? What makes them different? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the first I'd mentioned, I would mention is the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is an industry trade group. Their profile has risen. They're in a unique space, though, because they have to sort of live with the existence of the ATF. So they're not as not as adversarial. And then you have another sort of a collection of groups. I'd mentioned, you know, National Association for Gun Rights, Gun Owners of America, the Second Amendment Foundation and its satellite organizations. All of these groups have seen growth. Uh, United States Concealed Carry Association has seen big membership growth. So it's just splintered? It's just splintered from one into a dozen? Yeah, there has been some splintering. I think some of the growth is people who no longer want to support the NRA going elsewhere. Mm. Some of it is just the nature of the gun rights movement changing. The NRA, for all its belligerence, has stopped short of calling for the elimination of the ATF, for instance, although LaPierre did refer to federal agents as jackbooted thugs at one point. But some of these other groups that I mentioned basically see no justification for essentially any firearms restriction and would like to see the ATF eliminated, gone, Mm. and they argue for its, its demise. It reminds me of the way the Fox News was dominant and was like the only option on the right. And now there's Newsmax and OAN and Right Side Broadcasting and all of these further right groups, all these fringier outlets for right wing talk uh, as they've blown up into lots of different pieces. I, I, I saw on Twitter, you said that this broader movement is as strong as ever and may benefit from from the fraud trial, may benefit, benefit. well, you were referring actually to LaPierre's resignation in that, in that tweet, that these other groups may benefit from LaPierre leaving the stage. Um, are you seeing that happen, and, and, and how so? Um, too early to tell. I can see, let's say that the attorney general is successful, and the NRA is put under some sort of court-appointed monitor something of that ilk. I can see the fundraising emails already from the NRA. The NRA is shackled by by New York court. The moment is more dire than ever. Help us protect your freedoms and preserve the National Rifle Association. You know, I can see those those fundraising initiatives based on initiatives that that will be based on the outcome, a negative outcome of the the trial. 
So, so, so in other words, just like every time Trump gets indicted, he raises money <laughs> off of it. Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. a sugar high. That's a short term fix. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess some people might be listening to this and wondering, does does the staggered state of the NRA, does Lapierre's departure, it, does it does it herald any opportunity, any space for uh, for gun control measures? I think that there there may be. And this is why, you know, it, the NRA has been the standard bearer, right? And when the standard bearer is exposed for wrongdoing, um, that is not good for the broader movement. Just on that basis alone, there could be opportunity. Mm-hmm. It is the case that some of the other organizations, gun rights organizations that I've mentioned, you know, they're, they're aware of this and they are angry at what they, at the harm that they believe the NRA has done to the movement. Mm. Meanwhile, I, I've been learning all about this case thanks to The Trace. And I want you to tell people who, who may not be aware, you know, what you all do, what, what void you filled out there in the media landscape. Because, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we didn't have these publications like The Trace that could focus in depth on a single topic and cover it from all directions. Yeah. I mean, whatever your position on, guns and gun gun law, I think you'd grant that, you know, we're something of an outlier in America when it comes to the number of guns and the level of, of gun violence. And, you know, it's an issue that's very much entwined with our country's history. We, we do have what you might describe as a point of view, but it's simply that gun violence in this country is a problem and the status quo is not acceptable and it's deserving of attention. And what comes of journalistic attention? Are you a believer that the stories, that the reports, that they make a difference? A colleague of mine is responsible for a series of stories that undoubtedly propelled the New York Attorney General's investigation. So absolutely, (laughs) I believe that journalism has an impact. I know that reporters at other news organizations, again, you know, for decades were aware of these, you know, whispers of, you know, trouble and, and improper spending at the NRA. But it, it took a reporter and an organization that could just devote the time and the resources, you know, to the exclusion of, you know, of anything else to, to, to the whispers. And, mm. you know, what was what was reported, obviously, was quite explosive. And later this month, we will see what happens in that courtroom in Lower Manhattan uh, in this fraud trial. Thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on the case. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And check out The Trace's work at thetrace.org. This episode of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair is produced by Michael May. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our engineer is James Yost. Mixing is by Bob Mallory. And I'm Brian Stelter. Thank you so much for listening. Let us know who you want to hear from on future episodes. Email me anytime, bstelter at gmail.com. Look me up on Twitter or threads. My handle is at Brian Stelter. We'll be back next Thursday with more from Inside the Hive. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper 
with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.